Netflix's cheer coverage of Jerry Harris's scandal and the Barstool Sports Rico Bosco suspension saga are on tap for this edition of News Life Chat. For those of you who are new, my name is Nick Zangle. Thank you so much for being here. And whether you are here live on YouTube or on Rumble, which is a, this is the first episode we're doing a live simulcast of both platforms live, or on the replay on many different platforms, including Parler, where actually you can watch the YouTube live stream embedded there now that they have the option to watch there without leaving the website or the app, which is great, or on podcasting platforms. But if you are here live, make sure to say hello in the YouTube live chat or in the Rumble rants which is the Rumble version of live chat on their live, live streaming feature. And I will check it and read your comments throughout the episode. But with that said, let me make sure everything is good. And it looks like Rumble's having a little issue getting here live, so we'll work on that. But just to know that in the future, I'm going to be simulcasting to both. So let's jump right in to my reaction my reaction to how season two of Netflix's Cheer addressed the Jerry Harris scandal. Now, I've covered this story multiple times the past over, over the past few years, I guess, now that this story is almost two years old, and given updates. But at the end, I will link you to the previous videos on this if you are new to what's going on. But before we get into how season two shows Jerry's struggles, it is important to note that season two of this show was the number one show on all of Netflix in the U.S. as of its premiere on January 12th. And to be clear, I am not going to be spoiling what is shown on the show, anything besides what was um, covered regarding Jerry Harris and the legal things surrounding him, which was fascinating to watch, to say the least. But if you're close with these people on social media anyway, then you probably already knew what was going to happen on the show. You were just probably tuning in to see how it all unfolded regarding the actual cheerleading competition. But with that said, venture into the comment section at your own risk. All right, let's start by recapping the coverage of Jerry in season two and some things that I observed that give context to the Netflix coverage before later giving my overall thoughts on everything going on. But I was not sure how or where they were going to pick up for season two after season one. And it looks like season two would have been released a year ago if the pandemic hadn't happened, cutting the 2020 season short. And because they started filming right when season one aired or got done, got done airing in early 2020 before anything happened with Jerry, we see Jerry in most scenes in the first half of season two with episodes one, two, and five more heavily focusing on him. Now, starting in episode one, right out of the gate, they address the Jerry situation. And they confirm to me that this they are taking this very serious, and as they should. But I also think that they had to address it right out of the gate because they show footage from the start of the season with Jerry in it that they clearly could not skirt around or just dump all that footage because it was most of the season. But instead, they had to face it head on, which seemed like the right thing to do, considering the way filming unfolded in two halves because of the pandemic cutting one season short. But this is unlike what was done with the Hype House TikTok series on Netflix, where it appears they tried to cut out an entire person from the show whose storyline was the main reason people were, were tuning in. And now that show isn't doing very well and it got panned in the media and on social media because the whole reason people were tuning in got cut out. So while Cheer on Netflix, I think would have done well without any scandals surrounding Jerry, unfortunately, Jerry's legal troubles and his victims coming forward are making this show more popular. And I also thought it was smart of them to put a timeline throughout the season, not only to get ahead of people asking when the Jerry footage was filmed and to get ahead of any questions about Netflix's involvement with him after the scandal broke, but also to show how much the world in general and their world has changed since 20, January of 2020 when season one aired, and especially how quickly these stars, the stars of season one, 
how quickly their fame rose. And unfortunately, one of them, their fame fell just as fast. And that leads us in to episode two, where the show really dedicated an entire episode to how fame in the cheer world and beyond, fueled by season one of the show, affected the stars and how it affected those not featured in season one who are now on a team with people who are in the limelight now because of the last season of the show. With Jerry in particular, we are seeing how it has affected basically every part of his everyday life, whether they are in the salon here getting pedicures and manicures, and people are recognizing him there wanting to take pictures, to doing, as you see here, paid cameo videos at basically all hours of the day, to filming commercials and doing interviews, which are disrupting practices and also disrupting time hanging out with friends. Now, we did see in the episodes some of the, the teammates being a little annoyed with all these interruptions because most of them say they are there to cheer and to win, not to be famous. And it does appear, though, that the stars of season one that are still on the team at this point are trying not to let the fame get to their head and just trying to embrace this new normal for the good it can bring and trying to take advantage of good opportunities that maybe are once in a lifetime. But there was kind of an alluding to this new fame, adding pressure and more distractions to the group. In episode three, Jerry was still kind of his happy-go-lucky self and still seems like he didn't think anything was going wrong and or that anything was going to come out that would change the tra trajectory of his life. But then we get to episode five titled Jerry, where the cheer season of 2020 had abruptly ended and coach Monica is taking time off from the team in fall 2020, which later she revealed was her going on Dancing with the Stars, but she couldn't say it at first because she was waiting for the Dancing with the Stars people to announce that. But it added to the earlier fallout of fame from the show for the team where they make a point to show also that Jerry had actually sent in a video Matt talking or cheering on Monica on Dancing with the Stars when they announced it. And this happened just days before the, or just before the news broke of the FBI raid to his house. So then we dove into the fallout of the arrest and charges where it appears Jerry was not on the team when the new school year started, so I'm sure that made it a little easier to react from a team standpoint, meaning they didn't need to fill his spot and he was in custody, so there wouldn't have been a choice to keep him on the team at all unless he had been released on bail, which hasn't happened yet, and we will get into that in a little bit. But let's get into the team and Monica's reactions to the news as seen on season two of Cheers. So first we get to Gabby Butler, who was already well known in the cheer community before season one, but she was clearly, as you see here, heartbroken, emotional, and shaken up upon hearing this news and recounting her experience learning the news. She said she couldn't even wrap her head around any of what Jerry was being accused of. And she said it actually felt like someone had died. And then she said she was screaming and crying at the same time when she got the phone call about what was going on with Jerry. And Gabby then said that she does not condone any of what Jerry is being accused of. But Jerry is like family to her, so how can she hate him? She said she knows people expect her to turn her back on him, but she says she can't because he was there for her when she needed him. And I personally think that's really big of her to want to stay connected with him and stay friends with him. And it kind of reminds me of what is going on on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Salt Lake City regarding Erica Girardi and Jen Shaw. Of course, all these situations are unique and a little different in their own rights, but I personally think you can remain in touch with someone accused of horrible things and still be a good person yourself as long as you hold that friend accountable and give them a chance to show they've changed. And if they don't change, then you can set a different boundary with them, even if it means that boundary is no longer being connected to them. Um, of course, I've never, I don't think, known anybody being accused of this serious of stuff. So maybe I would change my mind if I was in that situation. But anyways, let's keep going 
to Ladarius who said he actually found out when he was scrolling through Twitter and saw the headlines and immediately thought, there's no way this is the Jerry that I know. And he said he didn't want to believe it to be true, saying that if he had known about this, he would have, quote unquote, snatched up Jerry right away as his friend to set him straight, which shows in a different way how he's would have been a good friend to Jerry or is a good friend to Jerry this in a different way that Gabby is. But anyways, Maddie is then a newcomer to the season and she says she actually th she thought she knew everything about Jerry, but clearly she says that they didn't. And then James says he never really heard from Jerry about any of this behavior, or any indication that this was going on. And James says he was asking himself, how could how could he have done more to maybe guide Jerry away from this behavior or somewhere else? And then he joins his teammate, Christian. And as they're watching a Dr. Oz episode, Dr. Oz show episode, covering this story, they bring up a point that I kind of touched on a little bit last time of wondering if maybe something in Jerry's childhood had triggered this behavior. Now, they say they didn't get a chance to get to know him that well. But they also make a good point in saying you don't really fish for someone fish fish for information from someone regarding this meaning like being a predator to, to children and and some secret stuff that would be going on behind the scenes especially jerry who's someone who is this happy-go-lucky very smiley guy so it'll be interesting to see how what else unfolds out of this but anyways as far as monica goes she found out about jerry's troubles what she says on stage at Dancing with the Stars rehearsal for their last live show where she says a producer showed her a headline on her phone where Monica says she didn't even want to look at her phone from then on because she didn't think she could take the weight of it. Followed by Monica sharing the team had a virtual meeting that night when the news broke and she said it felt like a funeral. And all of this being said while tearing up, but later then Monica shares a letter she actually got from Jerry after everything came to light about his positive hope for the future of being a motivational speaker. And Monica seems to be interpreting it as Jerry is going to become a better person after this all passes and use that to inspire others to do better after being better himself. So... And Monica was kind of, I think rightfully, a little confused by this letter, but um, apparently we didn't get an answer if she responded back to him or if there's any more correspondence between them at the moment. But in this same episode, we then pivoted to addressing the specific claims in the lawsuit by the twin boys and the FBI reaction to the allegations. So we first talked to an attorney for victims of abuse representing the twin boys in the lawsuit named Sarah Klein, which we later see she was actually a victim of Larry Nassar in the USA Gymnastics scandal, who will be touched on again later um, as well. And she says that that was her victimization of Larry, from that Larry Nassar is what encouraged her to go into this practice of law of helping victims. So Sarah then pointed out how you don't have to know or you, you don't know who someone is behind closed doors. And she explained how hard it is to come forward as a victim. Later then, she, she said she wasn't happy with Monica, Coach Monica's public statement on the matter. And in Monica and others' defenses, I'm not sure if they can say anything or do anything at this point that would be enough for some people, especially those who have had the people involved with Jerry who had no indication about what was going on, which we'll get a, a glimpse of who was made aware of this and didn't really take action in a little bit. But now we get to actually hear from the twins and their mother directly for this episode. And the boys who came forward with the accusations and lawsuit against Jerry start by sharing why they were even drawn to cheerleading as told by their mother too in general because they said it was a place where they were able to be themselves without judgment and especially as kids who were a little bit different than their peers 
in a time in life that is difficult for everyone already. And then the twins kind of explain in more detail their interactions with Jerry, starting with direct messages on social media saying Jerry even asked their age at first, which they replied, or he, one of the twins replied that he was 13 at the time. But Jerry then still proceeded to ask him for explicit pics, even knowing they were young teenagers. And this was the first glimpse of us getting to know Jerry behind the scenes or in, behind closed doors. And clearly he was asking their age for a reason. Not sure if Jerry thought because they were a teenager or over 12 that it was okay or what his angle was with asking for an age. I don't know, but they then explained that his star power as part of the cheer athletic all-star cheer programs and their social media accounts before the Netflix cheer documentary came out led them to basically want to do anything to make him like them. And they said when they didn't act the way he wanted, Jerry would make them feel bad about it. Then one twin says at the first cheer competition they attended with Jerry, he was avoiding Jerry to not cause any trouble after Jerry had responded poorly to him not having the same reaction to Jerry in the initial interactions. And he denied Jerry's multiple attempts to meet up at the competition, but then ended up meeting with up with him anyway in a bathroom, which is where Jerry was pleading with him to have sex. And the twin said no and was adamant about saying no and ended up not feeling comfortable staying there and left the bathroom. Now his other twin, his brother, said he noticed something was wrong when they went to do their warm-up with their team later in the day at that competition and noticed something off with his brother but was later filled in by his brother about what happened in the bathroom. They say this incident really rocked their idea of cheer being the safe place they thought it was, followed shortly after by Jerry then messaging the other twin where the other twin said he felt sad and angry over time and felt ashamed to the point that they didn't even want to tell their mom because they knew she would report it. And they knew if she reported it that they would lose all their friends in cheerleading. And this story does line up with what we touched on last video regarding what was detailed in the lawsuit. So they are being consistent in their stories. Now, their mom then gets a chance to speak about the situation from the angle of a parent. And she says she actually found out what was going on when she was doing a random check of the twins' phones and found a text toward text message toward the top of the of the list of of people they were texting from Jerry basically saying I'm sorry for the past and it isn't a good idea to be friends on Snapchat anymore to which the mom says she wasn't able to see once she asked her son for the Snapchat she wasn't able to see what was going on in there because the messages were under the for my eyes only feature well the mom then shares the first thing when her son opened that password protected section up was a video allegedly of Jerry self-pleasuring prompting the mother to be rightfully horrified she goes on to say that her twins saw Jerry was doing a lot for the sport at the time and they didn't want to say anything against Jerry in the height of his fame but the twins say that their breaking point in wanting to report this more and, and get attention to this was the morning they saw Jerry talking with President Biden, I believe over Instagram Live or some video chat thing. And shortly after their mom contacted Cheer Athletics Plano, Texas gym co-owner, which is the gym, the gym's co-owner, which is Jerry's gym, via phone, but was met with skepticism over the claims. So the next day, the mom then made a report to the USASF, which is the United States All-Star Federation, and still nothing happened. So the mom then says the boys continue to open up more about what was going on between them and Jerry, and they actually told her finally about the incident in the bathroom at the competition, prompting another report by her a few weeks later. The twins then say, 
that being anonymous on the news at this point was not working. So their mom then made a report to the FBI and quickly she said, the, the quickest out of all the, the reports she's done, they had a an FBI agent contact her about the allegations, but the mom was then smart enough to know that there was a chance the FBI maybe wouldn't do anything about it. So she still pursued media releases of information at the same time to make sure attention was brought to the issue and that it wouldn't die out if the FBI, for whatever reason, chose to not do anything about this. So this effort led to the USA Today reporters for the USA Gymnastics Larry Nassar scandal reaching out to the twins' mom to pursue their investigation of the cheer world in a similar aspect that they did with the USA Gymnastics. This resulted in them finding a pattern of not reporting or taking action against predators in the cheer sport and in the cheer world who had been convicted of crimes against children. Now, the USA Today reporters featured reiterated why Jerry is still in custody because he dumped his old phone and got a new phone right after being aware of the investigation into his actions, prompting the judge in the case to see him as a threat still because of those actions. And this info is where my stance, as kind of previously previously stated, of maybe Jerry didn't think he was doing anything wrong or he wasn't aware that this was illegal or whatnot, all that mindset of mine changed because his actions, once he realized he was potentially in the wrong, indicated he wasn't taking accountability or course correcting and also and wasn't remorseful. And that also came up with the claims from the twin boys regarding Jerry asking their age first anyway. So clearly Jerry was, there's some wheels turning up here that are not connecting with someone who's remorseful and regret regrets what they're doing or didn't think they did anything wrong. So the twins then wrap up by sharing the fallout from speaking out in against Jerry and it was in losing the community they had in cheer and even one person at their gym quitting because they didn't want to be associated with the twins because of the claims that they've made. And this was followed by the episode ending with a flashback to footage of Jerry from the 2019 cheer season and, and the first season of the, the, the show where he was basically thanking cheer for keeping him out of trouble and off the streets and making him not mad at the world and whatnot, which is a sharp contrast to what is currently happening to him legally. So let me know what you think of all this before I get into my thoughts. I just want to check my stream really quick. Make sure this is all good. All right, cool. Looks like everything's good. I'll, I'll fix the Rumble live stream later. All right, so now to my overall thoughts on this. So first of all, I am puzzled by Netflix's choice to not mention the others implicated in their own scandals during season two of Cheer because Robert Sienna, Robert Sienna and Mitchell Ryan, who are pictured here, both appeared on season one, albeit very brief, and they weren't the main focus of the show. But if they were really trying to address the full scandal about Jerry connected to the team in the show, I would think they would want to cover all their bases. And also to that point, I thought I saw Mitchell in the background of some of the first half of the season episodes. Of course, he's not the main focus. And maybe there's some contractual things as well regarding how much Netflix could show of certain people. So maybe certain certain people on the show don't have contracts where they can show basically whatever they want or talk about whatever they want. But I do give Netflix credit for addressing in episode one and four others who were featured in the first season of the show who have gotten in trouble since. One being Lexi, who they were kind of vague about what she was in trouble for, but apparently whatever it was, she it got dropped, whatever she was in trouble for. And then the former assistant coach, Capenna, for, I guess, what he said are things related to underage drinking with the team for homecoming. And so I'm just going to chalk this whole thing up to Jerry being the main focus. And that's why some people were featured more than others regarding their troubles. And because of the seriousness of the charges against Jerry, coupled with his popularity as a result of season one, 
I think that's probably why I'm guessing they, they weren't focused on that. But as far as Lexi and Campena, who are featured or seen here, they appear to be taking responsibility for their part in this and in, in their in their troubles. So hopefully Jerry, if convicted, will do the same. I will say too, it was refreshing to know that Monica is sticking to her rules regarding Lexi and Capenna in a world where special exceptions for certain people and certain groups are becoming more common. And this was actually something I mentioned in my last video that I made before the season premiered of saying that I wanted to see them hold Jerry accountable and not give him special treatment. And it looks like everyone did follow through with that by condemning his actions. Even though the lawyer that represents the twin boys isn't very happy with Monica's response, but anyways, let's keep going. So during the episode that where they talked about the fame resulting from the show and, and also the, the episode specifically dedicated to Jerry, it just showed and illustrated how far reaching his influence went to the point where he was interacting with the top people in basically all categories, including entertainment and politics. Now, the twin boys mentioned President Biden in in the footage they showed for the season, but I think don't think at the time of the video between Jerry and President Biden, I don't think he was president yet because I believe it was still 2020 and I think it was during his campaign, but now he's President Biden, so they're referring to him as that. But it was hard not to cringe at knowing what we know now, seeing so many well-known influential people propping Jerry up because obviously they didn't know what he was doing behind closed doors. And of course, now they all look like fools, but I had to keep reminding myself to not hold all those people accountable for what Jerry did unless there is a direct correlation and a main reason for his actions, excuse me, being the effects of fame and power on certain people, which he already had some level of fame before the Netflix series came along, but maybe the Netflix bump just took that to another level. Who knows? But I also think the people who look the worst now are the ones who didn't take the claims seriously when they were made aware of them by the twins mom including usasf and jerry's gym owners who the mom of the twin boys contacted directly and although they although they look really bad and could have done irreparable damage to not only their personal reputations but their businesses and the sport as a whole i do think if they learn from this and course correct immediately they may be able to salvage that reputation or that image with a lot of people but unfortunately they probably lost some for good as well so moving on one thing i did not expect but was pleasantly surprised to see was that the twin boys and their mom who brought the lawsuit upon jerry did get a chance to speak for themselves again for this show specifically and to have the mom tell her side of the story from a parent's perspective, which was also something I wanted to see, I stated in my pre-season premiere video. But on the other hand, I was a little disappointed that Jerry didn't have a chance to comment because his team of lawyers declined to do so. But I also understand why they wouldn't want to do that until the jury trial happens and there's a verdict. So it's kind of one of those catch-22s where we want to hear from him, but also we want to make sure he gets his day in court. And finally... One good thing this show on Netflix has in particular is its contrast to what many are calling kind of the wokeism of newer Netflix original series, whether it's mostly the scripted ones they're talking about, because although Cheer addresses issues that many could say are kind of under the woke umbrella, if you will, at the end of the day, it is about a show about who is the best cheerleading team and how it positively impacts the kids on this team and the sport in general does despite their upbringing despite the challenges growing up and all the things they've had to overcome 
And I hope this Jerry Harris scandal story will kickstart some changes needed to preserve what makes the sport great for so many young people. And for me, as someone who wants to be a parent at some point, if this was an option for a sport that one of my children could play, I want to know that there's things being done to protect them if I was going to put them in the sport. And if there isn't, then is the sport going to last very long? I don't know. But in my opinion, the Netflix Netflix in general has been doing unscripted reality TV, docuseries, whatever you want to call them, really well recently. And then we'll see if season three is on the way for, for cheer. But if you are tuning in from the YouTube segment, make sure to tap or click the screen for more from the channel. And if you're here live, don't don't head out yet. We have another topic to cover right now, so you don't have to wait for that. But um, let me take a quick sip of water and then we will go right into the next topic. All right, let's let's move on to the last topic for this edition of News Live Chat. So Barstool Sports is off to a very fiery start to 2022 with Rico Bosco, in quotations, going postal on a fellow Barstool personality, followed by his suspension by El Prez Dave Portnoy, who we will talk about a little bit more later. But we will not only dive into what happened in this incident, but also the lead up and the fallout from it so far, but first we need to set the scene by introducing the main character in the storyline, Rico Bosco. So who is Rico Bosco? I will explain the air quotes around his name shortly as we dive into the incident leading to the suspension, but Rico used to be a faceless talent at Barstool Sports in the gambling realm where before that, he was a frequent caller to radio shows in the sports world. Fast forward to 2020, Rico is now showing his face on in content, but still is not a full-time employee of Barstool. And then not too long after, in 2021, he officially became a full-time employee. Now it appears, though... Even though he went full-time, his office habits did not change much after getting the contract. If the banter on the shows with him, Dave Portnoy, and Big Cat are any indication, even though his other commitments by going full-time, which were used as excuses before, were now seemingly gone, which according to what I've seen stated on certain things and certain content out there, um, he was, I guess, a firefighter with kind of an irregular schedule because they do days on, days off, and they only have time off every so often. And apparently he got hurt on the job or whatnot, and that made it hard for him to stay there. But you would think landing a job like this to relieve pressure would be something one would not want to mess up. But it appears Rico went full-time just this past fall of 2021 after many years of waiting, and it has only gone downhill since. Now, prior to the full-time negotiation on the Barstool Pick'em podcast, Rico got into a screaming match with Dave Portnoy, the president and founder of, C of, of Barstool Sports. And in that, it slipped out that Dave had kind of helped him out regarding his home life, which we as viewers only found out in the comment section because they only bleeped out the part. They didn't blur the mouths. So... Some gifted lip-reading folk in the comment section were able to kind of translate what was said in that, and so we all kind of figured it out. But I personally don't think it was anything big that didn't need to be said, but clearly Rico has a pattern of being nervous about his real self coming out. But before we move on to the supporting cast of the Rico, aka Miko Bosco show, later I will link you to my past comments on Barstool Sports if you're interested, but stay tuned till the end for that. So... Now to the brief background of Dave Portnoy, El Prez, founder of Barstool, and Big Cat Dan Katz, who you see pictured in the middle here, who is one of the original Barstool sports employees, their interactions with Rico. We touched on it a little bit, that might give you a little indication, but be, to be more specific, 
their interactions have always been kind of ball busting, poking, instigating type relationship. And that's just kind of the culture in general at Barstool Sports. And they do it because they're a comedy entertainment media company. So they do all that for the sake of good entertaining content because their office is basically a reality TV version of the show The Office with a little bit of a WWE storyline drama flair to it. But some could say Dave and Dan have created this culture that enabled Rico to do what he did, which we're going to get to in a second, because they view content as king, indicating content may be more important than even workplace safety if you're just looking at this one incident and a few in the past. But now it looks like this situation may have finally made it more clear where the line is drawn. Now, usually... It's just high school, relatively harmless drama, nothing too serious, usually just sticks to words and doesn't get too personal most of the time. But in this case, throwing a full can of high noon hard seltzer at your coworker is on another level. Of course, it could cause serious damage. You may be wondering what could cause someone to want to chuck a full can of anything at their colleague first thing in the morning <laughs> and we're going to get into that right now but we need to do one more thing one more thing before we do that and we need to define or, or explain why i even put quotations around rico bosco the name that's because that's not rico's real name long story short his government name is the thing that apparently keeps triggering him but and he, apparently it's supposed to be this really well-kept secret, but it clearly is not. And Big T, the other main character in this episode, the guy who Rico threw the can at, apparently knows this is the trigger and uses it to his full advantage in following in the footsteps of Dave and Dan as setting the example of poking the bear for good content. Now, this aspect of... The whole situation shows that it wasn't just an all of a sudden Rico snapped moment. There was a buildup picking up steam, starting with a live stream in November at the Barstool Sportsbook New Jersey Gambling House on a college football Saturday where Big T was setting, sitting on the row behind Dave, as you see here. And Rico was pictured here. He was sitting in between Casey Smith and Dave Portnoy with some extra room. And you see here Dave kind of prompting or patting the seat saying, hey, Big T, come down and sit with us, coupled with P Big T asking, is Rico okay with this? But instead of saying Rico, he said the nickname for Rico's real name, which also happens to start with a T. And he said it in a very soft, unemotional, kind of flippant delivery, nothing too harmful or kind of violent, if you will, which I'm sure made Rico a little bit more mad. <laughs> Followed quickly by Rico doing what Rico does best, and that is self-destructing, turning into the, the mindset of the whole world is against me. As he storms out, he picks up the microphone that was on the ground and kind of flinches towards them and kind of threatens to basically hit them with the microphone. And at this point, no one seems too threatened, and it's just kind of chalking this up to Rico being Rico. But later that week... Big T is on another stream with Dave and apparently Dave is getting texts from Rico talking crap about Big T followed by a phone call on stream where Rico loses his cool again with Big T kind of egging him on in the background and more Rico just being Rico all bark no bite at this point still. But then we fast forward to the new year. It is 2022. It is the college football national championship game streamed on a Monday night in January, January 10th to be exact. And things are going okay, but Rico is still being himself and is universally panned for his comment about a guy twisting his knee after landing weird to him wearing shorts. And everyone kind of just looked at him on stream like, no, are you joking? Did you really just say that? And of course, Rico says, 
oh great everyone is against me now yada 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 but then he's later still sitting behind everybody in, in the corner by himself but then casey smith is in front of him as you see here and rico is then getting mad because another guy he doesn't like tweeted out that he was going to show up to the, the house and this prompts rico to just lose it and slam a plastic water bottle against the wall next to him going and this is where things start getting a little dark because not only is casey in this picture apparently or actually appearing to be concerned sitting in front of this guy who clearly just snapped and can snap at any moment again and has already resort resulted to physical means with the water bottle but everyone was kind of like what the heck as you see here i got this screenshot everyone's looking over like what the heck and this followed with big cat going over to sit next to him trying to kind of calm him down and, and is subtly joking at him indicating he needs to get some help some mental health help and it's trying with dan it's hard sometimes big cat to tell if he's being serious or joking because he gets this tone with certain people in the office who kind of go off the handle of this like dad talking to his toddler and trying to calm his toddler down and in this case though i think he was taking that tone to make it less harsh but also trying to diffuse the situation and actually trying to help rico in a way that would get through to him but then apparently it didn't work because the next morning of january 11th it was a tuesday a day that will go down in, in barstool history and maybe even sports media history i don't know but before too many were in the office big t was at his desk rico was just a few rows away at his desk closer to big cat where it appears rico after being greeted by big cat over the game the night before which we just we just saw the stuff from the stream loud enough for big t to hear but not to his face said something to the effect of i guess i'm just some low-level employee all i need to do is bang the keyboard and wear orange and cheer for teams in the south which was clearly a dig at big t because one big t's nickname is big tennessee he is known for wearing orange and that's where his roots are in this college team that he roots for and where's the colors and that's his nickname and this picture i see here is kind of the view i would see i would think would be um, big t's view so then apparently big t heard this took his his earbud out and said what's wrong what's wrong t basically using rico's real name and that is what set rico off apparently to grab the nearest unopened high noon hard seltzer black cherry or blackberry flavored flavor and rocket it towards big t barely missing his head as seen in the surveillance footage released shortly after which you can, it's it's linked in every, or it's pretty much shown in every video I link below as sources to this episode. Um, and in the surveillance footage, you see the stack of clothes behind Big T with the dent that goes through it and kind of it move when the can hits them, absorbing all that energy from the can by Rico that had just grazed Big T's shoulder after he moved his head to the side, dodging the can. Now, Big T is then, Big T is then seen showing the dented can that was thrown at him to the camera of one of the other guys that was in the office like filming after the, the throw happened but it didn't end there when big t reacted as any normal person would of asking what what are you kidding me are you crazy rico then grabs another can and is now booking it towards big t at his desk getting right in his face threatening to hurt him again saying this one's going right through your head this time and then violently throws it down in the trash can next to Big T and then starts banging on the desk as Big Cat is quickly rushing over to step in to take Rico away before he actually touches Big T and gets in really big, makes it even worse, and is having to play what people are calling Dad Cat <laughs> by telling everyone to just chill out because was getting heated and everyone was talking and trying to make it worse and he just had to tell everyone to just shut up for a little bit but apparently as rico was heading out the door because he basically got sent home to cool off for the day and then 
we'll get into the suspension in, in a second. I guess they sort of interacted him and Big T, but it wasn't really an apology because I guess Rico coupled the the whole thing with, well, if you'd stop being a dick, this wouldn't happen, which doesn't work when you're the one who started started the fight and started being physical with the other guy. So word quickly worked its way up to management and up the chain to Dave Portnoy, Barstool Sports president and bounder, who immediately texted Rico, suspending him for 30 days with an anger management requirement, which was agreed to by Rico. Now let's get into the fallout from this, the notable comments on Barstool shows for the rest of the week, mostly that day and the day after. Starting with the yak on January 11th, which was the afternoon after this had happened. Big Cat, seen here, said he thinks it will be easy, it will be better for Rico overall now that he is suspended in order to anger management and some therapy. And it is good that this breaking point came without someone getting seriously injured, even though it appears that was the intent behind throwing the can. Now, Big Cat then thinks that the Dave Portnoy show, which we'll reference in a second, that was filmed a few days before, right before, I think the day before the national championship stream, but wasn't released yet at this point. It was supposed to go out later that day or even the next day, was kind of hanging over Rico's head because of Dave's comments on that show of some of the content that Rico is in. And we're going to get to that right now because on the Dave Portnoy show from a few weeks ago, they appear to have filmed this segment, which is called Inside Barstool, where Dave kind of just goes through the some updates in the business of Barstool Sports. And they had filmed this before the incident happened, where Dave is basically shitting on the bench, Barstool Bench Mob podcast, which is like an ensemble crew podcast of college basketball that Rico is one of the co-hosts of. And basically, he was referencing the, the crew's trip to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which I guess Dave thought it was a bad look for the company because they were tweeting out, begging for free tickets and food and whatnot and free tours and whatnot. And I guess Rico got word of this and took this as kind of the beginning of the end of his time at Barstool because he feels like he can't do anything right and whatnot. But Dave basically called that podcast a JV podcast, not a varsity one. And then... The episode was supposed to end and they ended up adding a tag onto the end of the video after the Rico suspension via Zoom where they, Dave said he thinks that actually Big T has likely a reason to sue the company. So he's on Big T's side. He's like, I'm doing whatever I need to do to make Big T happy so he doesn't freaking sue us. Where Dave then confirms that Rico actually agreed to the terms of getting help and this agreement was actually reached with Dave before Dave even knew about the actual can throwing. He only had seen the video of Rico screaming at Big T in his face and throwing the can in the trash and banging his hand on the table. And so the surveillance surveillance footage came out after, um, and Dave got aware of that, the throw of the, the can after he had already suspended Rico. So clearly Rico was already on his last leg and already in big trouble with them. Um, but this is, we also get confirmation from Eddie, the co-host you see here, uh, that Rico had actually did quit his pension job. So we're saying, thinking that is, that is confirmed that he was a firefighter or whatnot to go full time. And now he's in a pickle because he's basically on his way out the door. So it, it's probably pretty stressful for Rico at this point. And now on the enabling front regarding Dave and Dan and, and everybody who kind of sets the, the culture for Barstool. Dave said he knew Rico was crazy, but he didn't think he would get to this point. But he says, everyone says, I run an insane, insane asylum at Barstool. So, um, and, and Dave tends to hyperbolize, but maybe this is kind of proof he's not exaggerating. <laughs> And he does kind of brush off a little bit the enabling claims, but he still kind of explores the idea and kind of doesn't want to fully admit that maybe they are enabling this type of behavior. But at least Dave in this tag of, of his show was honest about thinking in the back of his mind as this was playing out how great of content this was. 
And it goes back to my comments earlier about how content is king and also shows that and confirms that I, what I like about Dave and, and the company, which is they're honest and they're, they're transparent, even to a fault. And so uh, Dave also points out, well, apparently the, the fault is <laughs> attempted murder is, is kind of the line. But Dave then says, if you can't handle the ball-busting environment that we have, then this isn't the place for you. If you can't handle it or it brings you to the point where you want to kill someone, literally, probably not the place for you. Dave then commented about how Big T basically probably, as the can was going past his shoulder, was thinking, I'm about to sign a lifetime contract with this company. But then we got an update this week on the Dave Portnoy show where Dave basically says it's been over a week and he still hasn't arranged any anger management for Rico. He says maybe Rico's found one himself. He's hoping that's true, but um, it doesn't look like they're in any, any hurry to get Rico back with the company so or anytime soon so we will see how this unfolds in the next few weeks if or when Rico returns and in what fashion because he's supposed to return right before Super Bowl and then not soon after that's March Madness and those are two big gambling things that he would need to be involved in so we'll see what happens I'm going to be following this and we're going to keep going but the last note on the fallout of these shows is now that it it has kind of become a running joke um, in the office from what I've seen of kind of like if someone's messing with you, be like, I'm going to throw this high noon can high noon can at you, which we'll explore high noon in, in a, a second. So, and we'll, we'll, we'll explore if it's a good or a bad thing, what has happened. But anyways, we're going to, I'm going to go into my thoughts on five different categories in general. One being Big T, thoughts on Rico, high noon itself, Barstool in general regarding the situation, and then some of my personal kind of what I would do in the situation type of type of, of thinking so first on the big t front big t seems to be a good sport overall just in general even regarding the situation considering he actually landed his full-time gig with barstool after being an intern and having like one of the worst gambling days of his life in front of dave portnoy live on stream next to him and also considering the behavior of rico he big t still didn't back down or let Rico squeeze him out as Rico has done to so many people and he has so many people that don't like him. However, I do think Big T calling Rico by his legal government name when it is not out there publicly is asking for trouble and I think it can be considered crossing a line. Although, I think anyone in today's day and age would be foolish to think you can be anonymous while still trying to be a public figure and decide to show your face. I just think you have to kind of expect that your real information, some of your information, at least your name is going to be out there because of how many people you interact with. And it's just part of the thing. So anyways, regarding Big T and the content is king, Big T was trending after this on Twitter, although Big T himself and some at Barstool were kind of pointing out how Donald Trump has been referred to as Big T on Twitter, so it could be both contributing to the trending of the phrase. But anyways, Dave mentioned on his show, we just talked about this, how Big T basically has the power over Barstool at this point regarding his employment because he could sue them or do something legal or turn on them any second. And not saying that Big T should threaten or blackmail them, but I didn't, I did think about this right away too when I saw the situation come up because they're wanting to keep him happy right now to minimize any damage to the company or at least give t the opportunity to basically do whatever he wants or make him as big of a personality as they can and i did think in the back of my mind maybe big t was kind of pushing things on purpose with rico because he knew it would spark a reaction that could help him secure a job long term i don't know could be possible but i'm not in big t's head but from a Rico standpoint, if you already think everyone is against you, as Rico does, one way to get people to not like you more and get people to like the guy you hate even more is going off the handle as he did, as the guy you hate is being calm and rational in his response. What is shocking about Rico in general is that he bucks the trend that most people follow of 
playing an exaggerated version of themselves online, especially at Barstool Sports, by doing the opposite. At this point, it seems like Rico is actually downplaying on camera who he really is offline or off camera, which is really the scariest part, which is why I think him getting help is the right thing to do, not only for his sake and the company, but for those in his private life who deal with Rico at home, because clearly there is some deep-seated stuff he needs to figure out, and all this is kind of the manifestation of something going on we don't know about. And that is kind of the, that is the dark, sad part about this, as entertaining as it is to watch at times. But I will say, in Rico's defense, strictly speaking, from an entertainment standpoint, the first streams streams back during wildcard weekend for NFL without Rico were not as entertaining. Sure, they were less volatile, less abusive, less violent, less toxic, less emotionally draining, but they weren't as entertaining. And so there is this spectrum to Rico Bosco content entertainment-wise. For instance, I didn't mind watching Rico Bosco's contract negotiations this season on Barstool Pick'em or his Dave Portnoy show interview screaming match about his office habits because those are subjects asked that are fascinating to me regardless of who is involved in it at Barstool, at Barstool because Barstool is known for being open to talking about those things on air. Even though, as we already talked about on the Dave Portner show stuff, it was all bleeped out and, and whatnot, and the contract negotiations were vague and they didn't get into too many specifics, but it was still still good content and still interesting. But that is the trade-off with Barstool, is airing things out for everyone to see is, is entertaining but you also and get the clicks, but also you have to deal with the fallout from that. And... The fallout for Rico is diminishing returns with being able to do a good job and getting along with the coworkers needed to get the job done. If Rico can't get along with people, I think maybe Rico should take his name and likeness, assuming he didn't sign it over to Barstool or Penn, the parent company, to start his own thing. If it ends up that he doesn't, doesn't work out with Barstool, he never comes back. But we will have to see what happens when the suspension is over in time for March Madness, like I said, and Super Bowl. But judging from this week's day partner show, he may be out for longer than 30 days. Now, last observations on Rico, on Rico's response to this is one, the Barstool comment sections on this situation from YouTube to Reddit are priceless and golden. <laughs> and two, normally with Rico, he has his quote unquote writers defending him. But I haven't seen too much of that in this case. And the comment I left under the Dave Portnoy show in her, her episode covering this had one person reply saying they have revoked their ridership after seeing the light in this situation with who Rico really is. Now, as far as the actual High Noon hard seltzer can and the, the brand itself, I'm still not sure if High Noon... The, the can throw is good for the High Noon brand or bad because I see it as good for eyeballs on it just from an awareness and impressions for the brand standpoint, but also for the can surviving the throw, which has been mentioned by many Barstool personalities and fans. But also it's bad because High Noon will now be linked forever to this physically violent situation in a sector, alcohol, alcohol and whatnot, which is similar to gambling, where they emphasize responsible consumption and responsible behavior. And we can probably easily argue that throwing a full can of a beverage at a coworker is not the responsible thing to do. Either way, every show this is being talked about on has been mentioning High Noon, even if it isn't their sponsor of that, of that show that day. And here we are right now, basically giving it a free ad. But my question is then, does this set a bad precedent for free advertisement wrapped in controversy or at least further perpetuate the all-publicity is good publicity mindset? Last point on the high noon specifically topic or specific topic, I do admit this situation did make me almost want to go out and buy a high noon. Just saying. So now let's get to some general comments about this for the Barstool sports brand in general, which is 
I think Big Cat and Dan and Dave are going to have to continue to deal with the comments blaming them for enabling this behavior, not only from Rico, but from everyone, because they created this culture. And like I said, it is entertaining, but it appears that this is the line where that is not worth the trade-off anymore. And at some point, the risk far outweighs the reward in terms of Rico. And if you condone throwing something at coworkers, this risks bringing down the entire ship and the entire company because people won't want to show up to work or they'll quit. And then people won't want to apply and try to work for Barstool, which would be a huge change if I'm understanding correctly, where Barstool seems to be like a place where there's more people who want to work there than there are positions available at the moment. And, and I know we've been focusing on Rico, but I think it would be unfair to me to not point out the others at Barstool Sports who have shown signs of snapping like this at times, one being Dave Portnoy himself, we got Smitty, we got Frank the Tank, we got Ryan Whitney, we got Jake Marsh, we've got Brandon Walker, we've got Nate, and we've got Jersey Jerry. These are just the ones that are employed now with Barstool, not the ones of the past who've, who have had their own issues and, and not at the company anymore. So, the last point on Barstool in general, and this is just a theory, but the timing of this is a little suspicious because this is on the heels of the Penn stock tanking the post-Arizona Bull cancellation, some technical difficulties at their rough and rowdy pay-per-view event, and so there's nothing like a good drama with Barstool's head drama king, queen, Rico, Miko, Bosco for publicity and for content coming off of the college football championship week leading up to Super Bowl and March Madness, which is the biggest time of year for gambling. But we could also say the reason this happened now, naturally, was because of the pressure of those biggest time of year and all that and coming off of all those things. So the jury to me is out on this theory because it appears this was a real thing and maybe it was coincidentally great timing from a content perspective coming off a really bad string of things happening for the company. But either way, it was a great few weeks of content, I will say, regarding NFL playoff weekends and college football championship and now this. And finally... You, you've been hanging in there. <laughs> Finally, some of my personal thoughts of my own, a few before we before we end here. And you can comment on these as well on this aspect, wherever, wherever you were able to comment. But I was actually thinking how I would respond in this situation if I were Big T, because I can't really put myself in Rico's shoes because I don't think I would get to that point. But I think I would be advocating for Rico to get help just like Big Cat did the night of the national championship. And what I saw, I think Big T was kind of on his publicity tour <laughs> talking about this on Barstool shows. He was kind of saying the same thing, like, I want him, he wants him to get help. Because clearly there is more to this behavior than just losing bets or coworkers busting his balls or someone he doesn't like showing up to the to the stream. There seems to be some underlying issues he needs to address that he hasn't for a long time. And also I am a little brother that suffers from what I call little brother syndrome. So I don't know how I would resist poking the bear that is Rico like Big T did, especially in an environment where the higher ups or the leaders of content are setting an example, encouraging the poking. I probably wouldn't dox him or, or say his real name, but I'd probably find a way to poke him because it is your job to make entertaining content and poking Rico is an easy button for that up until now where it's kind of crossed the line. But I still don't think the doxing or, or saying his real name warrants a physical alter altercation. Instead, this would have been the, the good time to practice some effective communication by pulling Big T aside and calmly, seriously, firmly explaining to him why the real name thing is a problem. And I'm sure Big T would understand at that point. But lastly, I wondered kind of what role we as viewers play in watching this content where we kind of incentivize the behavior because the one point that came up during Rico's negotiations with, the, with his contract is the numbers and the viewership that comes with content he is in, which most numbers come from him losing his mind on camera. <laughs> so let me know what you think of all of this, wherever you are able to comment. And if you are tuning in from the YouTube segment, Make sure to tap or click the screen 
for my last video on my thoughts on Barstool Sports and tap or click around the channel for more. But for those of you who are here live or on the replay of the full news live chat broadcast from this January 25th, 2022, which is a Tuesday, thank you for being here and thank you for joining live. And before you leave, make sure to do whatever you need to do to not miss another episode going forward and do whatever you do to show love for this episode, however you do it on, wherever you're tuning in from. And with that said, thank you so much for joining me this time, and I will talk to you in the next one. Bye-bye.